Welcome to the Minnesotan Pod. Today we bring in a Minnesotan, Stu Bickle, a former gopher, former professional hockey player, and now a coach with the Minnesota Magicians. Stu will share with us about his uh, hockey career, both on the ice and now behind the bench uh, in the NHL. A lot of great stories uh, with his uh uh, playing career both in in the USHL, uh, the University of Minnesota, and in NHL and the AHL should be a great show. Hope you enjoy it. Love is a burning thing, and it makes a fiery ring. Bound by wild desire I fell into a ring of fire well, good afternoon, Mr. Bickle. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, I, one of the pods I've been looking forward to most of all these that I've done over the last during this whole COVID process because you're not just a hockey player and a hockey coach. Uh, you're a lot more than that. You've one of those guys that when I met you at the University of Minnesota camp a couple summers ago, I thought, man, this guy is different. And just sitting down with you for the last hour, you proved it. You're a sharp guy, know a lot about the game. And the irony is, in professional hockey, you were a fighter. Mm -hmm. And most fighters are, for the lack of a term, meatheads. And you're the farthest thing from a meathead. How do you take that when I say that to you? Well, I appreciate you saying that. You might be overcrediting me a little bit there. but <laughs> No, uh, I'm not. No, you'll <laughs> listen the next hour, <laughs> and you'll prove it. I guarantee that. But, uh, no, you know, I, I, I try to be well-rounded. And, um, you know, I, I, I think with your other statement there, with the meathead thing, there are, there are guys that definitely – uh, do fit that mold but I, I think uh, you know you find when you talk to a lot of guys that did that for a job that you know they understood that that was a job they were doing and uh, you know, you meet a lot of those guys off the ice and they end up being really good guys. And, and a lot of times the guys that you end up being buddies with in the, in the long run. It's kind of weird not to get spiritual here, but there's kind of like, I talked to a lot of players and it's like things happen for a reason. And there were certain things probably in your career that happened for a reason. And it's so weird as you talk about a lot of goalies end up being hockey coaches, but uh, bruisers like yourself are sometimes make up the best coaches. You've seen the game from a completely different angle you were never Gretzky, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you see the game from a different angle. As a coach today, do you, do you see that starting to seep in as the way you saw the game for your professional career absolutely absolutely and you know a, a lot of time spent in the press boxes so so you do actually step away from the game a lot uh when you when you play that role and, and you're kind of in and out of the lineup kind of guy uh you know in the role that I played in my in my small time I was in the NHL um you know so you, you definitely have a dis different perspective on the game um and, and I think that has helped me in coaching and I you know I'm still learning and, and hopefully that continues to help me on, on my way forward I know we're, we've already gotten off the tracks and we barely started here, but it's got to be great for how many times you were cut, sent down, you know, put, you know, as a healthy scratch. You must really understand what's going on in this kid's head when you're coaching the magicians this year where you're going to sit him and put him in the press box or have that. Do you follow where I'm going with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, you, you definitely learn how to, how to handle rejection and how to – you know, keep moving forward, even even when there's bumps in the road. And, you know, that that for me, you know, it paid dividends 
uh, you know, when I was playing the game, but I think now, you know, having that under, understanding and, um, you know, being able to kind of see yourself in these kids' shoes at different times when, when they are going through difficult uh, streaks in the road, it's just, uh, I, I think it does help to be able to relate to them and, and to have those conversations with them. So you were involved, we'll go back to your youth career in just a second, you were involved in probably one of the craziest hockey seasons ever this year. And then as well, last year you were on the University of Minnesota staff where you had a team that was like one game away from the NCAA tournament, and that got ended. Tell me about Stu Bickle's year this year and what it's been like to dealing with the COVID virus. Yeah, it's it's been a whirlwind, but, you know, no pity party on my behalf, definitely uh, you know, a weird year for everybody and, and a challenge, right? Because this is all uncharted territory. So, um, you know, you just try to try to find ways to, to help ki- kids keep going and, and seeing kind of the light at the end of the tunnel and, and continue progressing their career uh, over the course of this COVID season as well, I think is, is huge. You guys have had, the magicians have had a major battle because you're based in Richfield. Um, so you, you normally would practice and play games there. Uh, you see a lot of the teams in your division or the neighboring division playing games now. Minot and um, Aberdeen and Bismarck are all playing games like crazy. I mean, mm-hmm. they're probably 10, 10 plus games in, and you guys are still just practicing like over in River Falls. I mean, how has that been as a team? trying to manage that and you're the coach and 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 have a lot of say in player personnel as well yeah and and you know maybe it's it's a good thing that I I I don't really have anything else to compare it to as a head coach true Uh, yeah so it's it's my first year doing this and 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 having that responsibility uh you know kind of running the ship and 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 having that responsibility as a head coach um you know uh, you, you try to find like I said creative ways to keep your guys going uh, yeah. and thinking positively and working hard through through these pauses and stuff, whether that's, you know, finding ways to get on the ice or work on things off the ice, shooting, uh, you know, encouraging your guys to, to take advantage of their time this year because there certainly has been a lot of downtime. And, uh, you know, it's an opportunity for, for certain guys to progress and, and to keep going and, and jump past some of their peers. So uh, that's kind of the way we've tried to look at it. You know, you, you do have to try different things like Zoom workouts with our <laughs> trainers and, and, you know, everyone's on the video. And it's it's a different thing for all these kids. And, um, you know, it's it's certainly a challenge, but I think we've dealt with it uh, about as best as we could. Uh, well, you, you, we talked before the show, and you just touched on it there, but I want to take it a couple layers deeper. Um, in a COVID year, um, you, you, I, I want to just build it up a little bit more. You said, you know, this is a year where some guys, for lack of a term, are sitting around doing nothing. And then there are some guys that are really grinding and staying extremely disciplined, whether they're getting their 10 games at Bismarck or zero games in Richfield. They still have to grind, and you can actually might see come when we come out of this in March and April, you might see players that are jumping way ahead than they would have normally you would normally anticipated. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and and you know even talking with 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 you know people at the highest level with with NHL Central Scouting and and kind of the challenge that it presents them and in, in getting out to see players and stuff like that and and to do their job with with figuring out where each kid stands. 
you know, a, a depth chart more or less. Um, you know, it, it's it's a challenge, and I think it, it does give an opportunity for a lot of those kids who, you know, they might be a step behind or, you know, in their development or, or a step or, slower. Or 20 or pounds lighter right, or whatever, right? Right, It gives an opportunity for those kids to, to jump past the kids who maybe aren't going to be as diligent in their work ethic this year. Um, you know, whether that be because of the limited amount of hours that we're spending on the ice, which I think is a reality for, for most kids, or whether it's just their attitude and, and the way that they're approaching their practices, you know, instead of looking at this as, you know, a wasted year or, you know, hey, I'm just going to try to hang in there through this year. Well, why, why do that when you can have the attitude take, you know, subscribe to the idea that more is more, not, not less is more this year, because at the end of the day, it is, uh, you know, it, it's less for everybody. Um, so, so the more these kids can, can continue to push the envelope and push themselves forward, I think it's going to pay dividends in the future. All right. So this is Don on me mid, mid show, but a lot of kids are somewhat programmed to hockey. What I mean by program, they, they might shoot their pucks. They go to see a skating instructor, skills guy. They're always kind of, for lack of a term, pre-programmed. Everything is programmed for them. Now all the, all the plugs have been pulled, Mm -hmm. you know, and the only option right now is shooting pucks, maybe getting on the ice with you uh, for a short amount of time. So there's not a lot of programming involved. Walk through the guy that's going to succeed who can succeed without the programming installed for them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you see certain kids, you know, you'll have a pause. We, we, had, we, we took a few weeks off. You know, it, you see what, what these kids do during the pauses. You, you try to keep them interacting with each other as a team. Um, but you know, more so the, the onus falls on them individually because you're right that that programming is not, the structure is not there for them right now. Right. Uh, and in the early parts of this season. So, uh, you know, you depend on, they, they got to depend on, on their work ethic and their ability to get themselves out of bed in the morning, get a workout in, whether that has to be in your living room or, or whether you can go somewhere to do it. But, um, trying to look at each day as, as an opportunity to be productive and, and just get a little bit better, uh, you know, while you know that there are kids that, that aren't putting that work in. So it does fall on them to, to be diligent with it. But, um, you know, from the feedback I've got from our leadership group and, you know, our, our trainer at ETS and all that, our, our guys have been dynamite with it. So I'm really proud of them. We'll get back to those guys. I want to just touch on the, the Governor Walls ruling, and it, it frustrates me. I want to get your take on it. Um, what I mean by frustrating is the University of Minnesota is playing, uh, UMD is playing, obviously off, Mankato is playing. There's, being, there's college hockey being played in our borders of Minnesota, um, and I'd say 90%, maybe 100% of your kids are college-age kids. And how didn't the NA and NA3 and the USPHL junior hockey teams in Minnesota get the favorable green light to to host games or to to practice even uh, in Minnesota? What's your take on that? Just educate us. I'm not asking you for some, mm-hmm. you know, Trump boat parade, you know, statement. Just just educate us as to what the ruling was and how that worked out. Yeah, um, you know, I, I think part of the challenge was that initially it was it was kind of an afterthought with the first statement that was made. Uh, you know, there was there were specific rules outlined for for youth hockey and recreational sports, and then other rules outlined for for pro status and college status players. So, uh, you know, junior hockey is probably not the first thing that these elected officials right. were looking at yeah. as far as uh, you know constructing their policy or you know around those certain things. But it's it's not. Um, you know, I'll tread carefully with, with sharing too much about my opinion. You know, I don't right. want to make this a political thing at all. But definitely, um, you know, 
it, it presents these challenges that we've been talking about, um, you know, where, where you put a kid in, in a difficult position to continue progressing the same as, you know, kids who are able to play in other states and keep their development going with that structure. So it is a challenge, but, but something we ultimately have to find a way to deal with. So, again, I, gotta, I think I know your division. You have uh, Chippewa, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it used to be Cooley. Uh, Chippewa, you have Fairbanks and Kenai. They're both Jane- Minnesota teams right now. Mm-hmm. Janesville. Yep. Uh, Austin. Yep. Wilderness. So, are those guys in your those division? Those guys are not. So, okay, so, so oddly, like the other teams in Minnesota are not in our division. But I think right. as we try to formulate our schedule going forward, we're going to try to try to get some games against those teams. And, and the league will allow get, that. Yeah, and hopefully when things get get open back up, we'll be able to uh, to really kind of cram in some games with that short travel uh, with teams like you know St. Cloud and, and whatnot that are. That yeah, are you have three of them within like two and a half hours of yeah so we're all they're all chomping at the bit to get going too and it's just figuring out a way like you said with with all these policies correct and again not ripping on the governor that's just i'm just saying you guys kind of got a a bad deal out of Mm -hmm. the whole thing i thought Mm -hmm. out of that deal yeah all right uh we we'll go back to that let's talk about Stu, uh young Stu bickle it's kind of funny to imagine you as a little kid because you're just a big man uh were you a big kid or uh for your age I was always. Were you a, big... a striper in football? <laughs> no, no, I wasn't. <laughs> you weren't that big, huh? No, no. Um, I was always a, a, you know, a bigger kid for my age group. Yeah. Um, you know, once I got into high school, and, and like we talked about, having older brothers that kind of led the way for me, and um, you know, introduced me to the idea of getting into the weight room at an earlier age, maybe than other kids. Uh, I think I feel like that did benefit me, and you know, by the time I was a senior in high school, I was probably definitely one of the biggest kids, actually. Um, you know, in my age group playing, you know, for my team or, or in our section or whatever. So, um, yeah, towards the end of my career, bigger for my age group. Um, but growing up, uh, you know, not necessarily that way, no. And then let's talk about your brothers. Um, your dad was a football player? Yep. My dad played uh, college football at St. Olaf. And then where did he grow up? He grew up in Northfield, so he grew up right there. Oh, really? Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, and then where's your mom from? She's from St. Cloud. Okay. And did they meet at school or? Yeah. So they both went to St. Olaf and then, yeah, my, my two older brothers also went to St. Olaf. So it's, I, I'm the odd man out there. Umiaya. You're cousins, the only non umiaya in the right. family. You understand what that means, right? Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> my brother went there. That's why I know the term. Yeah. I was just blown away the first time they scored a goal. I was like, what are they saying? <laughs> What's going on here? Yeah. It's kind of neat. Um, so your older brothers, you're the youngest of three, right? Mm-hmm. Now, what are their what are their names? Sam and Ted. Sam and so Ted. Ted's not- the oldest. He's a few years older, uh, and Sam's a year and a half older than me. So. But a year in school, though, right? Yep, only one year in school. Okay. So did they give you a lot of lickings growing up? Did you? Does this where you, maybe you got a built in your inner toughness? <laughs> My from fair your share. brothers. Uh yeah, maybe so. Um, trying to keep up with them and. Um, you know, like I've mentioned off the air, you know, when I was growing up, I, I rarely played on, on the off season select teams, like the blades teams or the junior stars teams, all those kind of prestigious off season programs where, you know, you get the best players in your, in your age group, your birth year together in the off season to play together. 
uh, rarely was invited to do those things. Um, but I feel like I, you know, I was able to find a way to, to still continue climbing by just playing with older kids. So like on off season teams, I would play, um, on my brother's teams a lot of times when right. I, I would be the youngest guy on the team, probably more so to limit the amount of driving for my parents. But uh, I was just going to uh, say, was your dad kind of old school? Like, ah, you don't need any of that crap, right? <laughs> was that what it was like? Or uh, you know, Not not really. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he just kind of didn't. We weren't really, a, a, you know, my dad didn't play hockey growing up. So this is my he point. wasn't really educated maybe the same way as, as some of those parents that were, were pushing their kids into those programs more often. Right. All right. So let's walk through. You were Minnetonka, grew up in Chanhassen, so there was no Chanhassen youth program. You were kind of more of a Minnetonka kid, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, what were the What were the Squirt Pee Wee Bantam years like when you played association hockey? Did you have great teams? Did you have buddies you played with? Any great memories of that? Oh yeah. Well, that's that's the biggest thing I think. Looking back on any level is, is you know are the guys that you got to play with and and all the fun you had and so I I've really fond memories of of those levels and um, you know I was always I I don't remember specifically you know being on teams that were lights out uh, yeah. in Minnetonka growing up but. Um, I was always a B then a player. So I, I was never a first year a player. I always played, you know, I played squirt B then squirt a, then peewee B then peewee a, then, you know, Bantam B1. And you played Bantam in the NHL. A. That's not possible. You find it? a way. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, definitely a different path than a lot of guys that end up making it. Um, yeah. but you know, it, it ended up working out and, uh, you know, I, I had a blast doing it and, and got to play with all my close buddies growing up, obviously, and stay tight with that group. So, yeah. All right. So you played high school, no, no state, uh, tournament appearance. Did your brothers? None of those guys made it either, did Neither, they? Neither. No. So you're just skunked, completely skunked, right? Yeah, two section finals, no state tournaments. So really, no. really. Now one it was one one was Jefferson in 05. Who did you lose to in 04? Wyzetta? Wyzetta. And that yep. was from Minnetonka lost to them. Yes. And then you went to Eden Prairie your senior year. Yep. All right, we gotta go to I gotta grill you. Mr. Loyalty guy, right? I'm joking. <laughs> We're gonna, it's gonna be a theme though. We're gonna talk a little bit yeah. about that. And I think it's really uh, a really wise play that you make on this, and we'll we'll get to it in a second. Um, uh, but the Wyzetta team, that was the Laurenitis team that made it to state, right? Yep. It's yep. like a football team. Tony Lucia and yeah, Barbara was on the team. <laughs> yeah, Don Barber. Really good football players. And, um, you know, they, they had a pretty good hockey team too, but really athletic kids, you know, so. Yeah, okay. So you lose those guys, and then the next year you played probably one of the better Jefferson teams that lost to Holy Angels in the first round, but that was before they seeded it. But that was a good team. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your memories of playing Mariucci, trying to go to state, that whole thing? Was it crushing? Was it uh, – what was it like? It was It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, you know, obviously, you know, when I was at Eden Prairie, you know, losing your second uh, section final in a row – and, and just coming up short, going to state, you know, personally, that, that was a tough one. But, um, you know, I, I, I had a blast doing it in those games at Mariucci. The section final is always, you know, it's always draws a lot of people and it kind of gives you that, that feeling that maybe you haven't had before uh, in your high school career, play, playing in front of smaller crowds and whatnot. So definitely a blast. And, and you know, I, I have great memories of that. So I want to walk through moving from time. It's really good. So if you're going to listen to any part of the show, I think this is a big part to listen to right now. And that is you, you left Minnetonka. Your brother had graduated and kind of your buddies were gone. Mm-hmm. Um, walk through the decision of going to Eden Prairie and kind of what you saw. You told me before the air, it's really good. Can you Hopefully you can duplicate it now with the microphone on. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, 
I, I, I felt like at that point, I, I was like, like many things in hockey, I, w- I was kind of exposed to things at a younger age because I had brothers that had already been through it. I had an oldest brother, Ted, that had already gone through junior hockey by the time I was a sophomore in high school. So I'd already learned a lot of things. And he was now on to St. Olaf's. You yep. saw the path. For me to get to college hockey, I'm going to need to do this. I want to go bigger than college hockey. I'm going to need to do even more, yep. right? Yep. Yep. So you knew that. The high school thing was just one step along the way to get to your ultimate goal. Essentially, yeah. And, and you know, I, I, I looked at it and, you know, maybe things have changed a little bit with, with all the exposure, with being able to see games online and, and whatnot. But, you know, when I was going through it, I, I think a lot of times if, if you were on a weaker team in high school, uh, it, it just made it really difficult to, to get people to come out and watch your team and watch you play, especially if you weren't really a highly touted player going into it, right. which I wasn't. Um, so, you know, for me, I, I needed the maximum amount of exposure that I could possibly get. Um, like I had said, I, I grew up kind of equidistant between Minnetonka and Eden Prairie high schools. I'd known those Eden Prairie guys from growing up. So the transition for me was pretty easy and pretty natural. Um, but definitely, you know, took a lot of grief for that, for, for, for sure the loyalty did. thing, as you joked about. But, um, we'll get you know, to at it. the there's end of the a, day, I, I, I think that, you know, looking at kind of what transpired from that point forward, um, you know, I can't say I would have made it as far as I did if I wouldn't have made those, those tough decisions along the way. And, and it wasn't easy for me, you know, as you can imagine being yeah. at that age and, and making those decisions. It's something you put months of thought into and, um, you know, you lean on other people, good hockey people to help you kind of make those decisions. But, um, you know, I, I, I lean more towards, uh, towards the players with those conversations because, you know, from my experience and what I'd seen my brother go through, um, you know, a lot of times the, the, uh, the, the people that are expecting you to have loyalty to a logo on, on, on the front of a Jersey is, you know, I found awful. It's awful to say it, but a lot of times they don't have a whole lot of loyalty to you when, when you're going through tough situations as a player. So I try to keep an, uh, you know, an open mind to that now as a coach being on the other side of it. Um, you know, more what I try to teach is, is be loyal to your teammates on your team this year. You know what I mean? And, and so that's what I really urge our guys to do. And that's what I encourage now as a coach. But um, as far as, you know, how many years you, you wear a logo and, and, and being loyal to that, I think, you know, there are guys that, that make decisions, uh, you know, to stay certain places that, that, you know, it ends up hurting them in the end. So it can go both ways for me. It, it, it definitely, I, I don't regret it when I look back on it. It's it's weird. I mean, I was studying your contracts. I think your longest pro contract might have been three years. But most, if you think yep. about this now, uh, high school hockey, there's obviously no contracts. Junior hockey, they own your rights. But at the end of the day, if you're not a good hockey player or you're having a bad week or a bad month or a bad year, there's no loyalty from the club. Let me just finish this really quick. So, granted, you know, Marion Gabrick has a 10-year contract. But those are like unicorns. Those are rare, right? Most are one, two, maybe three-year contracts, right? Mm-hmm. So there is no loyalty from the University of Minnesota. If you were a good player at the University of Minnesota, they say a four-year scholarship. But if you're a slug, they'll get rid of you, right? Mm-hmm. So walk through that whole loyalty Thanks. We're going to get to Oposo here yeah. in, in a few years, and I want to get. I want to kind of lead up to the Oposo, maybe yeah. a different side of that for the Minnesota listeners. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, uh, you know, 
you, you, like I said, you, you look at those situations and, you know, a lot of times, I, I just think you need to have, you need to take both sides of the coin. You need to look at it from the player's perspective and from the staff or the fan perspective. And, and, and a lot of times those two things kind of come to a point, right? And so, um, you know, you, you have to decide one or the other sometimes. And I think, uh, you know, early on in a kid's career, if it's, if they're borderline and, and they really, really want to make it like I, I did, um, you know, there, you have to make those hard decisions sometimes. And it's not always what other people around you want to hear, but, um, like, you, like you touched on, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, these, these coaches you have at younger levels and whatnot, they're, you know, they're to, you know, to an extent they're, they're looking out for themselves too. And, and right. so I, you know, I try to guide kids, you know, understanding both sides of that. All right. Uh, you played two years juniors. Uh, you actually played some years in, uh, New Orleans or not New Orleans in Owatonna too, right? Yep. Was that your first year of juniors? Yep. So after my high school season ended at Eden Prairie, I went down to Green Bay and I mm -hmm. finished off the year there in the USHL. And then the next year I went back into Green Bay, um, started the year with them, really wasn't playing a whole lot, um, didn't really feel like I was developing anymore. Uh, so I ended up actually going from there to play in the North American League in, in, in Southern Minnesota. And, and that was another tough decision to, to ask to do that. And um, what do you mean, tough I decision, looked, like, to leave Green Bay? Yeah, but, uh, you know, because definitely I think at that point. your choice? You said, hey, I play, you were at, like, 13 games. You're like, I got to get some more time here, right? I just, yeah, I wasn't playing a whole lot. And, you know, I was probably playing, you know, five, six minutes a night when I was playing and I was fighting. And, you know, so at that stage I had such a long way to go with still becoming a better hockey player and developing my skill. You know, I just realized that, you know, I was pigeonholing myself too early. So, you know, I, I had a buddy that played for the team in Southern Minnesota at the time. So I had him talk with Who their coach. The coach? It was Pat Cullen at the time. No way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he, he had a discussion with him and just said, hey, he's, he's kind of interested in getting somewhere else. And we worked it out. And I was able to go down there and, you know, get on a power play and, and do all the stuff that I needed to do to develop my skills and, you know, the next year after that, I still didn't have any college looks. So, uh, when actually do an open tryout in, uh, at the U, um, for Sioux Falls in the USHL. And, um, I think I got invited like two days before the tryout. And so I was kind of a last minute ad and maybe somebody else dropped out or so something. So it was one like of these that. June camp things. Yeah. All and right. then yeah. I ended up doing well. And, um, at that point I was ready to play in the USHL and I went into, to Sioux Falls and, you know, thanks to Kevin Hartzell, I was, I was able to have a really productive year there and then get to the U. Okay. So Kevin Hartzell was your coach. Uh, for those that don't know Kevin Hartzell, tell, tell everybody what a legend he, I mean, he's a legendary, you know, gopher as well as a, a USHL coach. Tell me what his coaching style was like and what he's all about. He's just, he's an unbelievable person and, you know, he's, he's very realistic. Uh, he's got high expectations for his players, but um, to me, he was just a perfect junior coach. You know, he'd been through, uh, you know, years of that already by the time I got there. And so he, he had just tons of wisdom, tons of experience, uh, was really helpful with kids like myself and figuring out this college process, uh, figuring out, you know, where do you want to end up? What kind of role do you want to play? Um, you know, why aren't looks coming? How do we get that to happen? He was just, he was great with, with working with players and helping them through that process. And so I thank him a lot for that. And actually to this day, now I, I bounce ideas off really? of him 
all the time. Yeah, we, we keep in touch. I talk to him every couple of weeks, usually about just, you know, hey, I'm a first-time head coach. How can you help me through this? And yeah. he's had some really good stuff to pass along, and, and so I try to be a sponge and still soak that up. It's funny. Uh, I don't read a lot of Let's Play Hockey. I'm writing on my own website, but uh, if I do read one article a month, it's on that publication. It's Kevin's mm-hmm. opinions because his opinions matter. He's mm-hmm. got some very strong opinions. Uh, was he hard coach to work, play with sometimes with opinions about you as a player or other guys, or was he kind of a you know Hartsey wasn't really a yeller at all. Yeah, um, but he 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 had I expect he had other ways of of getting you going. Um, but you know he and I had a good relationship the whole way. Um, you know, from day one, really. So he, he was he was never really too bad on me. Um, he helped me along the way with with learning parts of the games that uh, parts of the game that I you know he felt would help me at the college level. And so, you know, I I, I couldn't thank him enough uh, for for all he's done to me. You know, as a player, done with me as a player, and then you know now helping me through this process of of becoming a better coach. He, he's just been awesome. All right, so. Let's go through your era, right? So, like, today, if you make a USHL roster and play two seasons, pretty much a lock. It's like 90%. Not many of those kids end up in Division Three. Um, and now today, let's just say for, for fun, it's 100% in, in, in or 90 to 100% in the USHL and maybe 50-50 in the NA. What was it like? Uh, playing the USHL back in the olden days when you were playing, was it a guaranteed to, to a uh, Division One scholarship back then, or was it still a no. lot of eggshells? Like maybe I'm a, a D three player. Yeah, no, I mean it was. You definitely had that in the back of your mind the whole year, and and I can relate to our guys on our team now that that are going through that and trying to get attention from you know, especially in this weird year, it's even harder. But um, you know, it's it, it's a battle. It's something that you you juggle mentally for sure until until you make that commitment. But um, you know, we, we had a good team, so I, I don't think we had – we didn't really have a whole lot of people that were going to play Division Three after that. So you were both all 100%. So you were just much. waiting for the shoe to drop. Pretty much, but I was getting – I was one of the few guys on the team that was still getting Division Three letters from, you know – Well, D, your brothers played at St. Olaf, too, so yeah. there's a little bit of a yeah. a bad stigma in a way, isn't yeah. there? Yeah, but I do remember I, I, I never loved it when I, when I saw one of those, you know, letters from River Falls sitting in my stall and I got to the rink and everyone else has, you know – Colorado College and Minnesota and all these schools. So it was uh, mentally, uh, it was a lot to deal with, you know, as I was going through it. But, um, you know, very thankful to Kevin Hartzell, too, with that, with, with helping me get connected at the U of M and everything like that. So you, you at some point, um, you got to be on the hook for, at some point, you start, those letters, they started to come. Um, walk through that recruiting process. Did you take visits or did you already kind of know what the U of M looked like? You kind of already knew what St. Cloud looked like. You already knew what Wisconsin or the local schools looked like. Did you know what you wanted? Or? So I actually didn't start talking to the U of M or St. Cloud until kind of the tail end. I want to say right before playoffs of my 20-year-old year. So I really, it did come all the way really? up to the point where I didn't have any idea what I was going to do. Um, I had talked with a couple of smaller schools. Like I went on a visit out at, at St. Lawrence. Um, okay. And, and and they offered, and I remember getting back from that visit. That must have been a confidence boost. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was certainly. Um, but I, I didn't see my. I just you know the type of guy. I just didn't see 
myself going to school there. And that was, that was a challenge. Cause I was like, you know, this is the only thing I got right now. That's really in stone. Right. Um, and, and no knock to their program. I mean, they have a great program there. I just, it was more the the school side of it. I didn't see myself there. And so I actually ended up, uh, backing away from that one with, with nothing else on the table. So, so you declined went, a, a division one offer or yeah. they probably give you the 48 hour deal. Uh, kind of. They were they were good about it. I think they gave me a few days. But it was. I do like, remember Hartsey saying, time, "Hey, you should probably right? take this. It'd probably be smart to, uh, you know, we're coming up on the end of the year here." But um, you know, when I didn't, he just he was great about it. He 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 continued helping me. You know, look at other options, and um, you know, thankfully at the time my my game was progressing too, and that's when I kind of started to garner a little bit more attention from the bigger schools. All right, we talked before the show, and we're going to get to f- hockey fighting here in a second. Was there a point, because there's a lot of pims on your on your junior hockey record here, so there's you can't get that many penalties tripping guys and, and elbowing guys. There had to have been some fighting happening. At what point did you say, this is a, you know, I'm, I'm big. I'm tall, are you 6'4"? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're 6'4", working out a lot, okay? Uh, and you see that this could be... There aren't exactly enforcers in Division One hockey, but there are also moments where, mm-hmm. you know, you, you need a big defenseman. I mean, the Gophers have had a string of big defensemen dating way back to the 70s, mm-hmm. um, and they're very valuable. Defensive defensemen, guys can shoot the puck, power play, all the things that you could do. What point was it, what coach was it where said, hey, you know, we might need you to get a little greasy here? Honestly, I... <sighs> I didn't really gain a lot from like I, I never, and I'm glad I didn't. I, I didn't really have many coaches who really pushed that on me. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was younger, like you know, in Sioux Falls, I, I fought quite a bit, and that was you know, obviously in Division One hockey, you, you didn't have it, um, but in junior back then, you, you certainly did. There was a lot of it. Um, so you know, getting to the U of M, I was I was definitely not your prototypical gopher. No, uh, they had always been a highly skilled team, you know, fast team, high flying offense, um, you know, D joining the rush, things that really weren't strengths of my game. Uh, so I think when I when I signed to go to the U, it was, you know, I think there was probably a lot of people out there that were like, why would we get this guy? This guy's not really a gopher type player. Um, yeah, but you there's know, only so many up, Mike Crowley's. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you got. You need a Matt Demarkey. You need a Dan Treble. You, there's yeah. al- there's always a need for that type of player. When when I thought of you as a gopher, that's what I thought. He's another big guy, tough. Uh, he's going to protect some of his players out there as well. I think there's yeah. a value to that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I think it, you know, it, it can give you opportunity too with a team because if there's not a whole lot of you, well. You know, there's not a whole lot of fallback options, so they they're they're patient with you, and and Don was great with that with me with with just being patient with my development and and you know keeping me in the lineup and and playing games and getting better and you know getting to a point by the end of the year where I feel like uh, you know I was I was an impact player and effective at, at what my role was on that team. So, uh, who did, there's a lot of great defensemen on this team. Derek Peltier was a good defenseman. Yeah. Um, uh, Cade Fairchild was a great defense. David Fisher was a first round draft pick. Mm-hmm. Um, who did you skate with? R.J. Anderson was one of the most highly decorated Gopher recruits. You know, because yep. of great re- career he had at Centennial. Who did you skate with when you were at the U? So I I, I was mainly paired up with uh, either Cade Fairchild or Kevin Weirs at the okay. time. We were both in my class as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, usually on that third pair, but uh, but usually paired up with those guys and, and, and good hockey players, headsy hockey players that, that helped me look better on the ice, that's for sure. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. So walk through that year um, uh, there. This is where we're going to get back to the loyalty thing because my biggest takeaway from that season was the Kyle Oposo leaving the Gophers in December. And now – this is strictly from a 10,000 feet gopher fan that I grew up as. Um, and him leaving mid season was just, it was like a jaw dropper and it really opened my eyes. It opened up a lot of people's eyes. It goes back to your loyalty. Like, wow, this game is college hockey has turned into a business where this guy leaves for the Islanders mid season. Walk through where you were when that hole went down and, and what your opinion was as a gopher, or as a, as a person, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm not in a I'm not in a position to to judge Opo for 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 leaving. Um, yeah. honestly, like we talked about, it's just you know, there's different ways of looking at it. Um, you know, the mid year thing is a tough one. I think that's that's a tough thing. I, you know, as you mentioned, you know, you, you make a commitment to play with 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 these guys, and you know, you, it's not even about the logo as much as it is sticking with the guys on your team. But then on the flip side of it, you have to understand what he was probably going through at the time, where you know he had, you know, I can't say what the what the uh, you know Islanders were telling him at the time. Yeah, um, I'm sure they were in his ear about, hey, here's what we want to see for your development. You know, he's obviously there was going to be a bright future for him playing in the NHL. Right. Um, and so maybe it's something that they wanted to see. So you have to understand the pressures put on the player as well. So I think there's two ways of looking at it. But like I said, I, I, I don't hold judgment against him. I think he's a great person and ended up obviously carving out a, a oh. tremendous career. <laughs> yeah. So um, no judgment there on, on my behalf. Um what was it like in the locker room when when he left? Was it was it like an empty hole, or was it where we'll gal- we were galvanized by it, or what was what was the story there? You know what, our our staff actually did a great job of of you know kind of having that next man up mentality. So you know we we don't have a, a key part of our team that we had before the break here. Uh, let's see what we can do in the second half and. Um, you know, we ended up having an okay second half and, and going on and, and losing to Boston College, who ended up winning the whole thing that year. So In the playoffs, right? Yep, yeah. yep. So, you know, I think we, we found a way to get through it, and I think at every level you're going to have guys that, that leave, you know, the group because of an injury, a season-ending injury, and, you know, things like that. So you kind of try to just take it in stride and, and look at it like that. Um, you know, so so definitely presents a challenge for a team, but but our staff did a good job of holding us together. Did you guys make it to the Frozen Four at the at the X? You did not, so you must have lost in the playoffs early. How did how that go down? Do you remember that? Yeah, so we were actually out in Worcester and we played against BC. No, in the in the, not the. Frozen, or are you talking the, about the, the final five? The WCHA final five. Sorry, yeah, sorry. final five. Yes, we we did play at the X. Yeah, and we lost to uh, Denver in the finals. The finals, like yeah. one, was it the one zero game? There was one that was there was one of them in there in that series. There was like one nothing. Yeah, game. It's tight games. It, that was a blast too, playing at the X in in front of all those fans and all that. It was and it was fun. Crazy loud. I mean, I know you play at the X as a pro too, but a different atmosphere for a college game when there's, you know, there's. 5,000 North Dakota fans cheering against the Gophers automatically, you know, every game. You know, your band there in the hall. Yeah, it's a different atmosphere for sure. Completely different atmosphere. That was really kind of cool. So walk through, uh, you're out of high school for two years. You're three years out of high school. You played one year uh, college hockey. Walk through the decision of turning pro after the first year. Um, You know, it was was actually something that I I didn't really – 
even see as an opportunity after the year ended. Um, right. Kind of caught me by surprise. I'd been invited to a couple NHL development camps for Were different teams. Were you drafted? Teams. You weren't drafted. Never right? drafted, so you're no. you're free agent. Yep. F-A. Yeah. F-A. All right. Yeah. All right. So um, invited to a couple of those camps. Didn't go to any of them. Uh, I actually was coming out of the year with a ruptured tendon in one of my hands. And so I'd finished up the year knowing I had to get surgery once the year did end. Um, so I got that surgery, wasn't able to go to any of those camps. And then, uh, Anaheim came to the table with an offer and, you know, I, I was, you know, at the time I was kind of blown away, but, um, you know, weighing it all out, I, 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 my ultimate goal at that point, I had already decided I wanted to try to pursue a career in pro hockey at some point, And I felt like being, uh, being an older freshman, um, you yeah. know, I, oh, I, yeah. I wasn't, you're, you're uh, different. I wasn't sure. young. So it was, I felt like it was time for me to go. Um, and you know, I, I still did kind of think coming into my, my first year pro and being in the American league, I was thinking, you know, I'm, I'm still the young guy. I got time here. Well, you know, you realize you, you get out of it and you get into the A and you're competing the other guys in, in my rookie class, I think we're all younger than me. So yeah, they, they come out of major junior at a yeah. younger age. So, or um, Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So there's, there's, um, you know, you, you look at that part of it too, and, um, you know, looking back, like I said, I, I can't have any regrets about it, but, um, you know, that's not to say it wouldn't have worked out if I would have stayed at the U of M for another year. It's great though. Like, it's not like you went right into the NHL. No, no, no. So you're, you're making a decent living, but you're not a pro athlete. You, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So you really grinded for three or four years before you got into the NHL. Was this, uh, you were playing in, in Syracuse, uh, uh, Iowa, San Antonio. Who was the San Antonio? Was that the the, the, the Kings? No, that was uh, the, that was Phoenix's team. Phoenix, okay, yeah. Right. So they we didn't have an AHL team my second year, which was really a challenge. So yeah, kind of all of Anaheim's prospects got scattered around around the Everywhere. American League to, to different teams. So got it, got it. Okay, so you kind of got scattered with it, mm-hmm. um, and eventually you hook up what. Let's go through the 2010. You play with Syracuse. You played with three teams that year. You played in the in the coast for a game, um, and then you played with two Syracuse and Connecticut. How did you get eventually to to the the Rangers? Did you sign a pro contract with them? Yeah, so I got traded from Anaheim to New York, but it really more of a minor league transaction where I knew I was going to go to their AHL affiliate in Hartford um, when I did get moved and um, got there. And I, I think you know they didn't really know who I was or anything like that. I had never really played a lot of games in that division. Um, so kind of had a clean slate heading in there and, and, you know, just went in there. And that's that's kind of when I really um, started, you know, I, I decided, hey, like, you know, at some point I'm going to sink or swim here. I got to find something to do. I'm, I'm clearly not more skilled than these guys at this level. And so that's kind of when I started on taking more of a role with, with fighting or, or trying yeah. to fight and, and getting beat up a lot when I was a kid. So it's, it's, uh, you know, you, you work your way into it, but that was kind of a decision I made when I was heading to Hartford was, you know, Hey, you got to do something different here. And so I started taking on more of that and it ended up, um, kind of working out for me the year after that. So, so you must've gotten pretty good at it. You know I mean? If there are, there must be guys that decide, Hey, I'm going to fight. And then they get beat up quite a bit and decide either the team decides they don't want you or you just, or the player decides I don't want to do this any longer. Yeah. You must've had a, and this isn't even on my list of questions. You must've had a aha moment fight. And I don't want to make this show about fighting, but was there an aha 
moment fight in the AHL where you realized, hey, I, I can, I can hold I my own here. I can't really recall like one specific fight. No, um, was it that year though? Uh, yeah, like I, I th- around then. I think it was after that year. I think I had lost quite a bit that year, uh, <laughs> and then I, I went into the summer and and I got hooked up with with a boxing coach here in in Egan. That uh, that helped me along the way, and really till all the way up through the end of my career, I, I worked with him. Uh, you, you can know, say his name, can you? Jeremy Clark. Yeah, yeah great he's a guy. Stud. Uh, yep. So he's on a Minnesota top team in Egan, and he he's been awesome. He's worked with a lot of guys with LA and different teams in the NHL. So you know, great resource for me. And once I got tied in with him, I, I started more than anything. Uh, just to feel more confident when I was doing it. And, and that was a huge thing for me to, to get better at it to a point where I, I wasn't at least uh, taking lumps every time I was fighting. Okay, so true or false, you obviously work on boxing in a gym setting, in a true boxing ring, do you? Yep. Okay. Um, there is no ring in, in a hockey rink, right? Mm-hmm. Um, does he account for that too? Yeah, so Clarky's actually so he's he's a Canadian and he's he's you know from kind of a hockey background. So um, you know, and the guys he's worked with over the years, he's he's kind of learned a lot about uh, you know being on the ice and how that's different. So he'll actually get out on the ice with you. That was in my the next summer question. too, and 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 do some stuff on the ice with your holds on jerseys and things like that. That you know, you, you can't really get in the ring. So he kind of covered all angles of it, and I don't think there's anybody out there that's better. So my son actually, I want to say 13 or 14, somewhere in there, he went over there and worked out uh, through recommendation. I loved it. Uh, I just remember there being no air conditioning. And this is literally, if you want to, if they made a movie scene of a boxing gym, this is exactly what it looked like. No air conditioning, windows pulled up, uh, some fans blowing because it was super hot. But it was a super grind. I mean, it, they had a really tough workout for mm-hmm. my son and his friends. Uh, did you also work out there as well on top of the boxing and the fighting? So I did. Um, no, I, I always worked out uh, with Cal Dietz at the U of M. And so <laughs> he makes every podcast. You know that every, everyone doesn't matter. He always makes best. it. Um, so we, I, I got to write that one. I got a Cal Dietz weirdo story because he's <laughs> everyone's got one. What a weirdo the guy is in yeah. a good way. You just gotta to get him in here or something. The, oh, I've, he's been on. I've had okay, him on. Yeah. He's the best. Yeah. Yeah. So he, uh, he, he always helped me with the, with the off ice workout stuff. I let him lead that. And then, um, you know, I would, I would go from there and skate. And then after I'd skate in the off season, I'd go down and work with Clarkie after that. So, Kind of a three, you know, three, three prong affair. Yeah. Okay, all right, all so. good. I, I just was, I was just blown away with how hard the workouts were for these kids, and was like, well, a pro athlete could use this, I'm sure. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so you get that. Um, at what point did you get the? I know you know the answer to this one. When do you get the call up from Connecticut? So it was after a game when I was in Hartford, and I, I got a call from our assistant coach, who was our defensive coach, and I was playing D at the time. So, you know, and, and I was an older guy, so it was a really special thing. It was something Yeah, that, you're like, f- with 2011? 25 or 26 at the time. Yeah, that is, so, that's not a fossil, but that's still pretty old. To not have got a game, yeah, at that point. And, and then, is, is Kenny Janander the coach yep, there? Yep, so, so Ken was our coach in Hartford. Um, JJ Daniel was the assistant coach there. And, um, so yeah, got, got the call up. Uh, I'd actually early on in the season. Did you think they were pulling your leg? (laughs) You know what? I I wasn't smart enough to think twice about that. So (laughs) I'm glad I didn't, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I got the call after kind of, I had, I had gone over to Europe with, with the Rangers and 
played all the way up to their first regular season game and was kind of the last cut. So on my way back over to the States and then playing in the American League for the first month or so of the season, I was really out to prove something that, that you know, right. I, I, I could make it back to that level. And, um, you know, thankfully I got a, I got a really good opportunity to, uh, to do that. So, um, you know, I, 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 there's a lot of balances you have to get along the way to. And, and, you know, at the time there was an injury in, in New York and left a spot open for, for me to jump in there and kind of take on a role. All right. Um, you, you get the call. So, so you live in Hartford. Mm-hmm. Did you drive to New York? Yep. Cause it's only a couple hours, right? Yeah. So you drive to New York. Uh, you park your car. I mean, had you been to New York City before and, and Madison Square Garden? Is this your first game is in the, in the garden, or did you guys go on the road? I had only been there for training camp. Uh, okay. I had been in New York for that, and then obviously the exhibition season and stuff like that. Uh, I think they were doing construction on MSG, so I think we played only on the road for our first few exhibitions before we went over to Europe. Okay, so you had never had you been to M- you'd never been to MSG? No. Nope. So your first game... It was it was like you had fallen out of the sky. Yeah, yep. So our first, my first NHL regular season game was in New Jersey. Okay, and then which you know is is at the time it was it was largely Rangers fans in Jersey, so it kind of felt like a home game. And then uh, my next one after that was against the Islanders. Even the in 2011, after they won all those cups, they're still. It's home a, game, really? It's like well, it's yeah, maybe half and half. It's it's similar to you know, really with all those championships, you think they would just be able to pack their barn with red and black? It's so close proximity I know. wise, though, I know. and I think that's a big reason. You know, you get a lot of Rangers fans that are you know outside city limits and and that sort of thing. So all right, so uh, walk through your first NHL game. What did you play? Did you did they do the gag skate where you skated around? by yourself uh did uh, were they welcoming what was it like when we go through that day i don't think they did that you know what i'm talking about right yeah, yeah yeah i don't think they did that to me i, I wasn't really a young prospect at the point so i you know <laughs> i was like saw older, that coming right yeah and i was older than a lot of these guys on the team who'd already been there for a while so it's a different dynamic but um i do remember being just extremely nervous in warm-ups and, and everything like that and then I think when we got out and when you you know they dropped the puck for the game you just try to focus in and, and zero in on what you got to do that night so it, the nerves kind of calmed once that first puck drop all right uh, so let's just walk a couple uh, a couple visuals uh you 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 get your bag from you bring your bag with you and you show up at some point they give you the the the, the jersey and they give you the socks. What, do you remember that where you got the jersey and socks and you put it on for the first time? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you'd worn it for for the exhibition games, obviously. Oh, okay. But, but yeah, the, I suppose. having that experience of of being like, wow, I'm really, you know, I, I I'm I'm doing this. I'm, I'm here, and um, you know, you, you almost don't believe it's happening until the game starts, and it's. In 2011, there's satellite TV. Your parents are watching this game, right? Yeah, I they think they able, actually they got, got on a quick TV. flight and got out there. Oh, yeah. they did. Yeah. Even better. Even yeah. better. So. so you get in the game. Any any um, monumental moments from the first game? Um, Didn't screw I, I got up? No assist. turnover? Oh, you got yeah, assists? No, yeah. No pizzas? No pizza delivery? Oh, I'm sure I gave a couple <laughs> hot and readies. But uh, no, I, I in, the, in the assist was like I was like rimming the puck out of the zone and I got a good bounce. And, and yeah. actually, yeah, Carl Hagelin got a breakaway and buried it. So like I, I didn't really do much. But um, but yeah, it's a good feeling, obviously, to, to contribute a little bit. 
Oh, that's great. Um, we talked a little bit about it before. Um, uh, Marion Gabrick, when you were a kid, uh, was the original wild first overall pick, first pick, um, and now you're playing with them. Was that a little bit surreal? But you'd maybe been through some training camp stuff with them, so it wasn't as surreal. But talk, walk through his game and who he was as a person because he seems like, at least through the media, from what we what we digest, that he was just a a great guy and uh, a one of a kind. Yeah, and and just such an electric player too, with the way he could skate. Um, you know, I still to this day, I don't know if I've seen another player that skates that way with that kind of power in his first couple strides, and um, you know, his top end speed is just insane too. So definitely not not a guy that's fun to practice against as a defenseman, <laughs> but yeah, uh, no, because <laughs> he could just take me wide on command. But um, but it was a lot of fun because you know, like you said, growing up here in Minnesota and watching the Wild and watching him play, and then and then getting to that point where. You know, now you're going to battle on the same side as a guy like that. It was it was really special. All right, so you either got to love him or hate him, but your coach is, is John Tortorella, who's still coaching today. Um, and I'm not sure I could call him a player's coach. Maybe he is a player's coach. Hard to say. I mean, I know that he and the media are just completely at odds with one another all the time. Uh, what are your experience playing for him uh, in that season and the, and the following year? He's a guy who I, I still have a lot of respect for, um, you know, and I, I didn't obviously, you know, my NHL career was, was relatively short. Um, you know, I know a lot of guys who have played for him for a lot longer, but just in my time there, um, you know, seeing how open he was to, to me, you know, making progress and improving myself and, and giving me an opportunity, you know, obviously I'm biased because he did give me that opportunity. Right. But, um, I have, I have nothing but great things to say about him. Uh, you know, obviously in the media, he, he comes off a little bit, uh, maybe standoffish would be the right word. I don't know. But at the same time, he's, he's always behind his guys and he's always supporting his team. And I think that every player in his room, um, you know, on different teams and, you know, I, I've, I've followed, you know, guys who have been on his teams and other places since, as he's moved around since then. And, um, everybody, every player that that's on his team, you know, with the exception of a few, I think has a lot of respect for him and the way that he operates. Yeah. Maybe the guys that he cuts, but that's standard for any sport. Correct? Right. Right. Um, okay. So that year is pretty, is pretty special year. You guys are speaking of New Jersey, you guys, uh, go at that crosstown rivalry in the, in the conference final. We'll get to that one in just a second. But you have probably one of the most electric fights uh, in, in all of, I mean, that I recall is uh, one of the cooler fights of your generation uh, with a local guy, Ryan Carter. Walk through your background of that fight. And uh, Ryan Carter was on a, another podcast that I happened to hear, and he was saying that, Zach Breesey told him later that he'd never seen Madison Square Garden so amped and so jacked up, including conference finals, including stuff that he participated in as a regular player. Walk through the steps of what, what goes on in that game, because that's an epic game. Yeah. Um, you mean, like, from the start of the game onward? Well, what, what <laughs> caused the fight? Because, obviously, you don't, you don't have a fight. That, that's at the opening face-off. Mm -hmm. You know, usually it's a hit. Maybe it's a trip. Maybe it's a, a momentum swing or something. Yeah. But literally where the, you drop the gloves to begin the game, something yeah. must have happened prior to that that led up to it. So that rivalry had already been established, and in, in a couple times that season, actually, there were fights off the opening face-off of the game. Really? Uh, where actually really? doubles. So where, Ryan, or where um, Brandon Prust... And Mike Rupp fought 
Eric Bolton and Cam Jansen. I think they might have flipped around to fight yes. the other way once. But um, so that had already happened a couple times that year, and we did it in their building. So I think maybe Pete DeBoer's mentality was okay. They came in and they set their lineup and started their fours against us. So maybe we're going to do it back to them. I, I don't know. Um, but there was already definitely some bad blood there. So, so you know, when the starting lineups came out, we, we kind of knew, you know, what the expectation was or, or how we should handle this. So they started their fours, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you line up at center. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is that the first time you've lined up at center? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was. Were you line up as center on the on the line chart, or you just said to everybody, get out of the way, I'm ready to go? I'm not sure what they, you know, that's a good question. I'm not sure what they put on the line chart. I think you do have to give position yeah. by position um, to start the game, but um, it was a situation where Karts had already fought Dubinsky and our team, um, you know, maybe, I don't know how long it was before that, right. but... Um, we wanted to give him a different look, so so I ended up, uh, Torch asked me to take the draw, and, you know, he didn't say go out and fight or anything like that, but, um, you know, I, I think, you know, Prusty, Rupper, and I kind of looked at each other and, and knew what was what about gonna... to happen and, and what to be ready for. Yeah. Um, kind of an epic fight, too. I mean, when you think about it, it was just an epic fight. The The crowd is just going bonkers. It was like, it was almost like when they slapped down their 50 bucks or 100 bucks to go to that game that night, they knew what they, you know, they would have been disappointed hadn't there been a fight in that game. Where a lot of games, you go to a, a Blackhawks-Penguins game, you're not expecting that with all the high skill. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. this was one of those games, like, we got to deliver because the people are here tonight are, are they'll be disappointed if that doesn't happen, right? Yeah, you know, I, I don't think any of us really put too much thought into, like, what the what the fans were thinking. I know, you know but I'm like thinking that. just but, from but that yeah, perspective. You know, and then for sure, I think if you were in the stands that game, you know, you expect to see some fireworks, but maybe not right off the opening draw. And so that's, I think, why, you know, and like, like Zach mentioned about it being so loud in there, it just erupted, and, and it didn't stop for, for maybe five minutes. It was, it was, it was pretty out of control, but uh, definitely a, mem- a memory of mine that I'll never forget. And a good epilogue to that, you told me, before the show is you and Karts are good buddies. Yeah, you know, like we're, we're not, I wouldn't say we're best friends or anything like no. that, but we had skated together before that, uh, just, you know, in some some charity stuff locally and probably came across each other in some, some summer skates and stuff like that. And always cordial and everything. Skated together. Um, in the wild, too. You know, then, you know, yeah, and then the next year, too, during the lockout when I was here, we skated together pretty much every day. Um, so got to know him, yeah, played together, um, for, for a stint with the wild. And so, um, you know, got to know him better and better. And and he's a tremendous guy, like an outstanding guy and and a guy that I have a lot of respect for the way he played the game, because, you know, you look at his skill level and what he could do with the puck and and the role he could play on a team and be an effective player, but then also go out and fight guys who kind of did that more for a living. So, um, really well-rounded player and, and a well-rounded person who, who I really like. It's a kind of a total package when you think about it. When you have as much skill as he had and as much fire as he had, and the fact that he could, you know, drop gloves was he's, he could do everything. Do and now yeah. he's now he's doing the you know broadcasting, yeah, broadcast. and he's doing great at that too. So yeah, he's it, King Midas, isn't he? Right. Yeah, he could do it all. Yeah, that's good. So um, one more quick fight. One I went through. You you, fit, you fought uh, Biz Nasty, which was you know you didn't realize at the time when you're fighting him how 
you know, much of a, you know, media superstar that would turn out to be. Did you have any idea who the guy was when you were fighting him that night? Or so I fought. Yeah, I, f- I fought Biz um, in St. Louis uh, during an exhibition game one time. Uh, when I was playing with Minnesota, he was there in St. Louis on a PTO. So I had already fought him, and then uh, we fought each other again in the minors. Yeah, uh, I think it was you were maybe the a goals, couple maybe? years after that. Yeah, when he was with Ontario, which is LA's yeah. farm team. Um, so so we fought each other there too. And yeah, tough guy, definitely a tough customer, and, and a huge following too. So oh my he's gosh. a character he's out there. Definitely, definitely a character. I just want to get that out there. I mean, there's we could go a bunch of different fights, but I, I want to just end the fight segment of this and just talk about what you learned uh, by being a fighter and what what it taught you. Kind of that whole get back to the you know things happen for a reason. What's your takeaway from from that experience uh, being a fighter? You know. I, for me, like talking about the game specifically, it, I think it allowed me, it, it really helped me understand like what, you know, you have to do whatever it takes if you want to play at the highest level you're capable of. And, um, you know, for me, I, I never had a skill set where I could show up to camp half in shape and work my way into a season. Like I had to be firing on all cylinders. I had to do do well in our training tests. Which for, is great for, for yeah. kids you're training now, right? Yeah, for all of our testing, all that stuff. I knew I had to blow it out of the water. Otherwise, I wasn't going to be given a look. So I always went into seasons really prepared. Um, I invested a ton into my off seasons and, and, you know, trying to maybe get an edge on a guy who I'm even with and, and keep progressing forward. I use the off seasons really as another season. I really never wanted to take more than, you know, three weeks off of, of training and skating and everything like that, which, you know, I, I, there's a lot of guys, I think that, that, you know, maybe wouldn't benefit from that. They, they benefit from getting away from the game and things like that. But, um, for me, I just, you know, pushing that aspect of my, you know, my conditioning and, and stuff in the weight room and, and everything that I could do, uh, you know, physically, I think helped me make up a lot of ground for, for what I lacked in terms of skill. Right. Um, and then your career comes to an end, uh, a few years ago. Um, and this is, you know, if we got a young kid listening to the show, um, he's probably thinking, oh, what a cool guy. He played pro hockey, he did all this. And what you don't really see is some of the injuries and the toll the game can take on your body. You were telling me stuff about hernias and, and backs. And, like, literally you aren't whole. You're not an NFL offensive lineman or anything crazy. But still, you've got some really grave lifelong injuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, walk through some of that, which probably ended up ending your career. Yeah, so I actually, my first year pro, I had to have back surgery like 12 games into the year, which really presented some adversity for me. But, um, you know, was able to get back and, you know, make it back at least to where I was by the end of the year. Um, you know, that, that was a battle. And then, you know, fast forward maybe five years, six years, I had a bilateral sports hernia surgery. So um, basically by this point I had, you know, been cut apart and put back together in my core, which is, you know, very, very, very hard. important for, for hockey too. So doing all that rehab and, and finding a way to get back, um, you know, post surgeries and everything. And, and, you know, for me getting that small opportunity, that stint I had in Minnesota was, was really, 
um, you know, internally really gratifying for me because I had put in the work to, to get myself back there. And really, I, I had my doubts along the way after those hernia surgeries about whether I was going to be able to get back there, especially with how much I, I counted on myself for, for the conditioning part that we just talked you about couldn't and all do. that. I, I thought, you know, there's no way I'm getting back to skating the way I need to to play at that level. Um, you know, and it didn't last long, honestly, from there. Um, but yeah, and then it hurt my back again at the beginning of my last year pro and, um, you know, didn't want to do another surgery. Uh, it just, it, it was to a point with, you know, a combination of that and concussions and everything else where it, w- it was time for me to be done. I, I wasn't going to get back to the NHL. Um, this is good stuff. Uh, I want to just reflect a little bit on that a little bit further because obviously the concussions are a big thing and you've taken many, many blows to the head. Did you ever get concussed while fighting that you know of? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So when well, you got bonked one in the head, you got knocked in the head or whatever, and, um, did, you, did you skip a game as a result of it, skip a couple games as a result of it, or is it just it's at you, times yeah i mean certain ones you'd you'd miss time and you'd take the take the baseline over and everything like that but um you know early on in my pro career we didn't have things like spotters in the stands and stuff yeah. like that now and um it's not a knock to the trainers or anything back then that's just how it was it was just different so you know a lot of times if if you got one in a fight and, and your knees didn't buckle and it wasn't super obvious to everybody else you know you you didn't say anything you know right. you just you just went to the box and hopefully after your five minutes you're at a point okay. where you can at least get back to the bench and finish the game and then you know you might experience symptoms after the game and stuff like like that but um you know I was for a lot of it I was too young and stupid to tell anybody so there's probably you know I think I would say change, 80 percent not documented but certainly uh something that happened quite a bit do you to, think that's to gonna change yeah I think I think we're we've made up a lot of ground now in the game with you know you know teammates too caring about each other and yeah and uh and and you know keeping track of each other and and hey man like you you should maybe get that checked out or or whatever it may be um but you know i i think we're more accepting of of players being honest about their injuries now and i think it's you know you look at a guy trying to make a long career in this game and you you you, you end up in a better spot if, if you take care of yourself and, and you tell your trainers about your injuries as opposed to, to trying to hide them. It's crazy because you think about it uh, from your perspective. Let's go back. You're playing for the Gulls and you're four games in, back hurts again. You know, you kind of probably hit a wall and says, I just don't want to hurt my, my body. I don't want to go through the rehab. I don't want to go through all of that again. And one of the things is to get my maybe even to get your brains beat in two or three more times. Like you probably just cut your losses on your brain and your body all in one retirement. Right. Yeah. And yeah. And too, like at the end of my career, I was, I was started kind of getting concussions at a more rapid pace. And that, that was, you know, it was scary for, for me and people really close to me, you know, kind of seeing that happening, you know, as opposed to happening maybe, you know, once a year, twice a year, you know, now it's, you know, two, three fights in a row, you don't feel good. Or now yeah. all of a sudden you're getting rubbed out against the wall and, you know, you bump your head and you get one. And it's just so easy to get one. 
Um, so I, I think that does kind of that kind of mounts, and it's something that you think about. But um, for me, it was just a combination. Yeah, really, the back is kind of what set it off, and right. giving it more thought. And you know, I through the end of the year, I was trying to come back, and you know, my my skating wasn't there with the back injury, and um, you know, following the year, I I went into the summer, and and that's when I kind of decide I I tried to skate a couple of times, but I kind of decided at that point, like, hey, I'm not progressing, I'm not getting there. Um, not going to make it back to the NHL. Uh, so so you kind of put all that together and, and make that decision. Usually uh, it doesn't end the way you want it to end. That's no, sure. no, no. Yeah, you're not get the, getting the gold watch and right. ceremony with right. the, the rocking chair or whatever. You're not going to get that. Yeah. Most guys don't get that. Um, but one thing that it kind of struck me is, you know, your head is really important. Um, was your mom – I mean, it's, it's a silly question, but did your mom – play any role in this like she knows you better than anybody your dad's like yeah he wanted the three boys right but your mom must have a pretty good keen eye on they're it. both very you know what I'm saying? i hate to take yeah. your dad out but mom's usually got a pretty good idea as yep. to whether you should keep doing this were they involved in the decision at all or is it just all stew <laughs> you know they they always allowed me to to do my thing with hockey and you know with the fighting and stuff like that i i, I knew that they weren't huge fans of it obviously who what right. parent would be but um, at the same time, I, I think they were smart enough to see that, you know, that was my opportunity in the game too for, for you know, for, for making it to where I did. So they're pretty realistic about it, but certainly, you know, they worry like any other parents do. Yeah. All right, last thing, the hands. Uh, your hands are a really important part of your trade at some point. Um, the hand is almost scarier than the head sometimes because you, <laughs> that's what hurts more after a fight. Because you're hitting a guy oftentimes in his helmet. Yep. Yeah, and I, I mean, I've broken my hand more than more often than I've broken my face. So, so now you're like, out for a few games or maybe a month or so, correct, because of this? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Nobody ever notices that. That's nothing that's ever been reported. Mm-hmm. I've, I, I've broken new ground here. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it, right? Like, don't talk about that. They always talk about the concussions. Like, well, what about the the, the weapon? Yeah. Because you got to use that thing to stick handle and shoot the puck. Especially now, too, with, you know, since the last lockout, having to – um, you know, all the young guys that are up and coming and fighting, they, they wear visors now. So now yeah. it's, you're, you're punching plastic most of the time. And a lot of times you hurt yourself worse throwing the punches than, than receiving them, you know. So yeah. you try to be a little bit more, maybe more strategic. That's not really the way I went about fighting. But a lot of guys have, you know, as that's happened, become more strategic about the punches they're throwing. Right. All right. Now, this is probably the part of the show you're most excited about, and that's – coaching right mm-hmm. um you co- we met uh you coached one summer a week at our summer camp out down at the university and first takeaway was well, who is this young guy who's wearing a you had like an anaheim ducks or some kind of ducks u- uniform or, or jersey probably or my golf stuff yeah. yeah yeah you know right and i'm like man this guy skates a little bit better than the the go- current gophers he's uh way better with the kids i'm like i go up to scott bell i'm like who's this guy he goes, that's Stu bickle i'm like isn't he like older he's like yeah i'm like he looks like he's 18 years old i maybe i ribbed you the whole week like <laughs> you look like one of the frat boys yeah. here at the university and you were you know 30 years old or 30 plus years old um 
and really good with kids. Did you know, I mean, that probably wasn't the first time you had been access to kids or playing or coaching. When was it that you knew that you wanted to coach? It wasn't from that week, I'm sure, but there had to be something was leading into coaching. I'd done stuff like that, you know, through my career in the off seasons with working with younger kids for, for different, you know, different reasons, different camps and stuff like that. So I'd, I'd try to give back and, and do that sort of thing. So I was kind of used to working with, with the real young kids and like learn to skate type stuff. Yeah, but, but never really coaching at a high level. So, um, you know, moving into to my position under Bob Motzko and the staff at the U of M and, and being able to do that for, for a couple of years was huge. And, um, you know, I, I thank those guys, you know, to the moon and back because I, I really I realized in that time um, making that transition, you know, you've, you've got a lot to learn coming out of playing the game if you want to be a coach. And so it was, it was kind of a tall order really to, to try to get myself, uh, you know, feeling more comfortable talking to a group of 25 guys or, you know, whatever, whatever it was, but. Um, and that's you know, a grad, you were the grad assistant. Yep. And now it's a program where you could actually go to school and get credits too. Were exactly. you participating in that too? Yep. So I finished my degree there my second oh, year. That's so. so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it was great because I got to knock that out and, and get some really valuable coaching experience under a really experienced staff too there. And so uh, those guys were patient with me, you know, gave me a lot of opportunity to, to start my coaching career. And so, you know, I, I, I'm really thankful for them. What a crew. I mean, you got Rabs, you got Benny Gordon, who you played with, right? Mm -hmm. Was he on the staff both years? Yep. Yep. So he was there. Uh, Hamry, is that the, the hammer was the, yep. the, the operations guy. Yep. We could do a whole podcast on that guy. Yeah. He was a great guy. He actually still comes out once in a while and helps our team out on like a skill day, the odd day where, you know. Oh, for the magicians? I wanna, yeah. Oh, yeah. for sure. I'll try to give our guys a, a day or two away from hearing my voice if we're kind of going through the dog days and, uh, you know, bring somebody else in to, to work New with voice. them. And, and Hammer's, you know, he's, he's full of energy. He's, he's been great. So he was director of ops, so he technically couldn't be on the ice. Right, so that's just like. A well, he was on the ice, but yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of rules, rules right? With right. What he can and so it's like do. putting a tire in a cage, right? I mean, that guy loves to be on the ice and coaching guys, yep. and has such great energy. So you got him, and then and yeah, Boom May last year came in. Yep. So you got a really, good, and then obviously Rabs and and Bob walk through those two years and watching. Literally, you watched the ascent to what the Gopher program is now. You could kind of feel, mm -hmm. you know, some of the old guard going out and and the system that Bob put in. What do you th what do you you know what do you what did you see here at the university with the last two years that you were there? Yeah, so I mean, I think they're in a really exciting position. Obviously, you know that's easy to say right now because they're they're undefeated and yeah. they're off to a great start. But um, you know they've they've got a really good group of kids, a good leadership group there. Um, you know, loaded with talent. I think they're you know they they react to to what Bob Rabs Gordo Boom tell them to do. Polly now as well. Uh, to, to, you know giving them information, they, they soak it up. And, and that's what you want to see, I think, as a coach. And something that I learned from them was just, hey, how do you relate to these players in a way that, um, you know, they're excited about the information that you're giving them instead of sitting there and rolling their eyes. So yeah. you just find, try to find ways to do that. Everybody's got their kind of own style of approaching players, their own communication styles and stuff like that. Um, but, but I learned a lot in that time. My first year I was kind of more um, – in the press box and stuff like that. And, and, you know, a little bit less hands-on just kind of moving pucks around in practice and then uh, absorbing, after, right? Yeah. Yeah. And just learning and learning as much as I could. And then, 
Um, after that, my second year, uh, Bob gave me a little bit more, you know, with the guys. I started going on the road, you know, with the team every road trip and getting a chance to be on the bench and yeah, stuff like during that. During game, in games. Yeah, That's yeah. Pretty cool. Well, so, a lot of times, Rabs and Gordon are maybe recruiting or can't be. Right, right, yep. So when one of them would be gone, Bob would always invite me to be on the bench. And, and that's, you know, so I, I, I'm really thankful for that opportunity, too, because that's a part of coaching, you know, actually being behind the bench in games. Uh, that that's a part that I think is w- was huge in, in my progression and in, in getting to where I am now and feeling comfortable as a head coach behind the bench. Talk about you looking young. R- Garrett Rabwine's another one who looks like he's 10 years old. Yeah. Uh, we work the camps with him every summer, and he told me he had three kids, and I was like, no way do you have children. Yeah. He looks way too young. Yeah. Uh, what what have you learned from Rabs as a coach? Because he's going to be a head coach someday. We know it's like 10 years from now, we're like, well, of course he's the yeah. head coach of such and such university oh, he's great. You, you know what i mean yeah he's great and he and he you know he's the decor like i said they they listen to him he's got a way with communicating with those guys that that uh that really works and i think so he, he's kind of found a niche there and um you know for you even look at like gordo same thing you know they have a young staff there so i'm watching gordo and rabs like in practice actually doing the drills with these guys which i i wasn't used to you know in the past with having older coaching staffs um, but it's fun, you know, Rabs will still be out there snapping it around, pounding the puck and he can actually teach technique, which I think now, uh, you know, in this day and age, I think that's becoming a bigger and bigger thing is, is having guys on staff that can actually perform the, the technique drill. that you're trying to get your players to pick up on, you know, whether it's a full drill or just, Hey, like, you know, stay more compact when you shoot, the, shoot the puck or, you know, this or that. And you can actually go through it with them kind of like a skills coach would I think that's really been valuable for their program to have those young guys there that that you know the, the other players on the team uh, they'll actually listen because they know that you know Rab and Gordo were both very effective college players I was just gonna say that all you do is turn the internet on and you can find some great clips of Rabs and Ben Gordon as great college players and that's really what Bob's trying to make 20 Ben Gordons and and Garrett Rabwines mm-hmm. I mean really that's guys are gonna be three four-year players great players great speed great balance respect the game I mean that's what you see at the University of Minnesota I've got a chance to work with a lot of those we'll get to the magicians a lot of those guys uh, we talked about a few of them off air I just really really like this group you know Uh, you know they were just so much fun to work with in in our camps every summer and you kind of cheer for them subtly you know I'm I'm impressed so I can't technically cheer for them but it's hard not to cheer or be excited about this group you know you get the young defensemen you had you had Lacombe and and, uh, Ryan Johnson last year you could see what was going to materialize out of those guys right and then and then you got uh, Brock Faber now this year um Really good, talented group of kids bought into the system. Who are some of the guys that you worked with that you really enjoyed? You know, just some characters. We had Matt McManus on here last yeah. week, but just some great character guys. I love Brandon. He's a great kid. I, he's he's awesome. Uh, you know, Southern California kid, so we'd always joke about things. And I spent a few years down there, so just joking about his off-seasons and probably how much different his life looks, uh, you know, when he's back home compared to a lot of our guys who are from here. But he's a great kid and, uh, you know, super positive 
positive on the ice. Just I love being around him, and, and he's a sponge yeah. too, and he, he listens to his coaches, and he's going to continue getting better. Um, another guy that I worked with a lot, kind of one-on-one, was Sample Ranta. He's, yeah. you know, he's electric, and I kind of saw that early on in my time there. was like, this kid has a chance to be really special, and, um, you know, working with, with Steve Reinprecht a little bit and kind of making a plan for some right. of the one-on-one work that I could do with Sample before and after practice and stuff like that to keep him, um, you know, getting better and everything like that. I, you know, it, it helps the Gophers. It helps Colorado. Everybody wins. Yeah. So it's, I, I really had a blast working one-on-one with players like that and, and doing things with Sample and just kind of seeing what he could do with the puck. And it was crazy because I just got done playing the game you know, at the pro level, and then I come in there, and I'm like, this kid's way better than I ever was. I don't know how much I have to show him, but you you find little things that, you know, you talk with player development coaches who, uh, you know, obviously have different draft picks, you know, on the University of Minnesota team, and and they, you know, help you kind of understand some of the stuff they want to see implemented into the practice plan where, you know, potentially it makes the player a more impact player during games. So I had a blast with that. So here's two guys that, you know, have worked our camps and I've known since they were actually squirts and peewees. That's where old I'm getting. But uh, Benny Myers, uh, did you know I t- you, he started the same time you did? He came in the same mm-hmm. year you could. Did you think that he was like an all-American potential when you first saw him skate? You know, because he could be, he's literally tracking to be an all American this year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and probably not one of those guys that you look at in practice and you're really super blown away by, but then you, I think his poise is really his huge strength, right? And in hockey IQ, you, you can, I'm a believer that you can teach hockey sense, but to see it at a young age with a player like that, understanding time and space, understanding when, you know, he's got to slow up and wait for his line mates to join the rush, all these like small things that he does so well, um, maybe don't come out so much in practice. So right. I wouldn't say day one. No, I, I didn't see it as much day one, but then, you know, you get him into games and after, you know, he plays even a few games, you're like, wow, this kid's something special. So he's, he's a great player and he'll have a long, career in the nhl oh i think so he's totally undrafted i mean he is clean slate and he's mm-hmm. four years he's well, he, from like delano right? delano so, yeah 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 he so. was a stud though i mean if every he was making national camps it's not like we yeah they well plucked it's not him like, yeah but yeah. He, yeah he wasn't playing for shattuck he wasn't doing the he didn't go the uh, high road he went the yeah. low road to get there that's for sure yeah and then scotty reedy i mean he's now it's finally coming everything is starting to kick into gear because when he was you know eighth ninth tenth grade he's one of the best players in the world in the country he made the national development program as a 10th grade or whatever so there's not a big surprise that he's doing well but he had a slow start at the u yep yep and i think you know for for certain players that's an adjustment right all of a sudden you're not clear-cut you know, best player on your team, not on first, first line, first line right? or yeah, first yeah, power yeah. play, and and so that can sometimes get to kids. But you know, I have a lot of respect for Reeds and kind of the way he handled that and just continued working. And I think even if you went to practice today, you'd see he's one of the hardest workers on the team. You know, he's grinding and always trying to get better. And I think. Uh, you know, San Jose's got a really good pick there going forward because he's going to have a great year this year. He's got a ton of goals already. He's got a knack around the net, and hopefully you can translate that into the pro game and we can watch him for a long time. You notice we didn't talk about Sammy Walker because every I've never, I've never met anyone who's not like Sammy Walker. Yeah. He's like everybody's All-American. How do you become the captain of the Gophers as a sophomore? He just, he works, he works and he's obviously, you know, he's got unbelievable speed with the puck. 
Um, you know, there are parts of his game that are, you know, he's just gifted. But, um, you know, what I love about Sammy is is he's a smaller guy still in stature, and I think, you know, that'll continue progressing too, and, and that'll, you know, you know, help him take that next step in his game as well as that happens naturally. But he's got some bite. Like, he plays he plays the game hard, and, you know, when he gets angry, he gets angry. Like, yeah. maybe, maybe unlike anybody else on that team that I saw. So um, you look... Look at how hard he is on himself. And I think that's kind of a coach's dream, right? Because yeah. then you're not constantly trying to fire this kid up to get him going, to wake him up and all that. He's just showing up and built in and dialed in. Yeah, yeah. That's the kind of kid he is. So it is he's definitely built in. All right. So let's get to the magicians. I want to talk about a few of those kids. Um, I would probably wouldn't spend a lot of time on the Gophers, but they're doing so well. It's fun to kind of shine a light on them a little bit. And mm -hmm. you worked closely with them for two years. Um, uh, Let's talk about the team. You guys haven't played a game yet, and you're probably dying to play a game right at this point, right? As a coach, you just can't wait to deliver your first, uh, yeah, your first speech, your pre first pregame speech. <laughs> you're ready, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we started. We started practicing August 31st, which I think was first in our league to, to have everybody report and start practicing. And um, so we, we've been going all the way through, and it's just it's, it's been a challenge not to have games. Uh, you try to find ways to, you know, have inter-squad scrimmages on a day or, hey, today we're just doing three different games or, hey, right. you know, we're going to do this or that and try to keep the guys, you know, as excited as you can get them. But definitely a challenge too, right, because, you know, no kid wants to go through that many practices. <laughs> That's a long while to oh practice without gosh. playing games. It's like, it's, so, like a, it's like a Russian training game. Yeah, besides you know? our exhibition games, we didn't get any, uh, you know, that's that's all they've got to kind of look back on. And then, um, you know, we'll, we'll have some road games coming up here right after the right. new year. So that'll be good. You're so humble. You should have you should have said, I'll just teach you here. You should have said, and in some of our exhibition games where we beat USHL teams like the Fargo Force, <laughs> should say that, right? No? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> it, I, you know, we've, Come on. We've that does, so, you don't get games. I can't. Uh, you know, I don't say anything like that. We, we've got so much to prove still, right? We haven't played a game in I'm our joking, league. I'm so joking, but that's a pretty cool feather in your hat, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and our guys had a blast doing it, and I think it was good for them, too, to see. You know, we have guys on our team who aspire to play in that league eventually, and, you know, I support that dream if, they, if that's what they want to do in the future after this year or whatever going forward. Uh, if they can get those opportunities, you know, I urge. I'm not the kind of coach that tries to hold them back and, and right. keep them in the NA. You know, if, they, if they're good enough to play in the, in the USHL, you know. Do I, it. Go ahead, go to camp, try it out, and, and see if it works. So, um, you know, that's that's kind of been my perspective as as a coach here early on. We'll see if it if it uh, if it works or if you know maybe it wasn't a great idea. But I, I believe in supporting the players and, and what their aspirations are. So, um, you know, that's that's that was a great thing for for them to be able to see kind of what that pace is all about, and for a lot of our guys to see, you know, hey, I can hang, I I can play at this level and and have success. You got a lot. I mean. And I've known Joe and, and Ingie uh, over there for a long time, and, and I've seen when it first started, you know, seven, eight years ago, and to where they are now. This, and I hate to put too much pressure on it, but this is the best roster that they've put together in their in the history of the program. And this is, the, I wouldn't say it's their year, but I could easily see this team uh, coming out of your division and making it to the Final Four. No pressure. Well, thanks for the pressure, but uh, no, I mean we've uh, we've we we had really I I think they drafted pretty well um, 
you know, in, in the two phases of the draft. I was a part of the second phase, so I had yep. to say in some of the players that we got and who had coached a few of them actually uh, when I was coaching in the Wheat League a couple of years ago. So some guys I was familiar with that I really wanted to get in, and we were able to get them in, and then we've had obviously um, some tough conversations with, with other kids that maybe we had on board that, that weren't going to fit. And then, um, you know, we've had some players from the USHL that have come back or, you know, other players that right. have just kind of come out of their shell and, and surprised us. So I think we do have – we have a lot of talent on our team – um, you know, it's a way of, you know, it's, it's a matter now of, of finding a way for, for the kids to put it all together. See who kind of plays well with who and stuff like that. And I'm sure we're going to have our growing pains. I mean, if you look around the NHL this year, uh, the, really, you know, you could say, yeah, we, we've, we've got a really good team on paper, but if you compared it to the other teams in our league, like because of everything going on, yeah, like, you know, um, really it's it's put a better product on the ice for i would say Everyone. every team in our league so you look up and down these rosters and it's like you know a lot of kids that that were highly touted or you know supposed to be really good and we'll see kind of who pans out this year and who can who can do well and put up numbers and dominate in the north american league but definitely a different look for the entire league not just the magicians this year Couple things, uh, the lot of logos on the on the line charts. When I retweet those, there's a lot of Division One commits already, and there's more coming. There was another one yesterday. Uh, kid committed to Bemidji. Uh, Will uh, Magnuson committed to Bemidji. It's every time a NA kid commits to Division One, it's it's a win. It's like a it's a mini win for everybody at the poker table. Like, all right, that's another one. Absolutely. That's another one. It's another one. So the league, you know, you you, you know, you want to beat Bismarck and you want to beat these. You want to beat Aberdeen and beat your opponents, but at the same time, every time someone gets a D one commitment, that's more of a add a boy for everybody in the league. Right. Exactly. So yeah, and I think. Um, you know, the, the, like I said, the product is better this year, and I, I think that there's Division One schools that are opening their eyes to that. And, um, you know, it's it's been a challenge too, though, because, you know, a lot of our guys, they're buddies with other guys on different teams that have been able to keep playing uh, during all this and, and keep playing games and all that. And and so they see their buddies commit, and they're, you know, in the back of their mind, they're thinking, gosh, you know, I want an opportunity or I want to get some attention from schools. And so our guys are, are really chomping at the bit to get, going uh you know for for sake of our season and our success and, and playing for their teammates and all that but also individually you know just yeah garnering some attention from schools and I, you can't really do that until we have games so it'll be great to get going what is your first you guys got some road games coming up Yes, we do. We we've got we've kind of shuffled our schedule around a little bit to to have some road games in the early part of January, give us an opportunity to get going, and then, um, you know, if everything goes according to plan, then then we'll be playing games here in Minnesota, probably in front of no fans to start, but yeah, at least an opportunity for our guys to get back in the rink and and playing some home games. Who do you play first on the road? You said you go on the road. Chippewa. Oh, Chippewa. Yeah, that's Chippewa. right. That's right. Chippewa, so. Um, what kind of coach are you going to be? You're going to be the. A coaches, a players coach. You're gonna be. You know, uh, one one of the best pieces of advice I've got to this point early on is is just be yourself. Yeah. And, um. You know, I I I would like to say I I'm hard but fair. 
uh, kind of stealing that from I, I'd read uh, a book that Brian Burke wrote recently that uh, you know he, he kind of explains that you know his mentality towards towards building a roster you know towards coaches things like that and and the whole idea you know if you can be hard and, and demand a lot I think you're going to help your players progress at a faster rate um, but you want to be fair too and you want to be positive you know so I, I'm, I'm a big believer in in you know being positive on the ice but you know, at times, like, guys need to be whacked. They need to, you know, be yelled at for a second. Hey, like, let's let's wake up here. So so that's a part of, of my coaching philosophy. But also, you know, I, I don't spend a whole lot of time, you know, in the early parts here with our exhibition games and stuff. And, I, and going forward, I don't plan to spend a lot of time on negative clips or, you know, negative this, negative that. I think you can make a lot more progress if you uh, give players kind of that affirmation and be positive, you know, catch them doing something right show that clip because that's a great teaching point for the rest of the room. And I think as right. a player, I, I noticed that about coaches that showed positive clips. Hey, we did this great. Look at this guy doing this the right way. You know, catch them performing their routes or their D zone in the, in the right way. Show those clips, keeps your room positive, and still teaches everybody what we got to be doing. You know, I, I think there's there's still maybe too many coaches out there that are that are focusing on the negatives of the way a team played, and 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 I think at the end of the day, these kids kind of get burned out. You know, and yeah, and so you you got to keep it positive while, old, while you're being hard, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it's the old eye roll. I have I've had it happen many times as a coach where you're giving a lesson or teaching a drill or whatever whatever it is on the ice. Uh, or even in the in the locker room where the the guys start to gloss their eyes or not roll their eyes at you, but you know that's the point where deep down you know you've lost the room and you want to wrap the speech up or wrap the drill up, right? You yeah. know what are you gonna do when you get in a situation where you hit hit a tough spot, whether it's that or you guys lose four in a row? Mm -hmm. You know what are your plans? How are you gonna change it up? What what are your what have you learned in your days playing or watching other coaches who can change it up? Well, like I kind of prefaced with earlier on in the interview, I'm sure there's still a lot of, you know, I'll make a lot of, I'll make a lot of mistakes, you know, early here. That's and I and probably all the way through, to be honest. And, you know, I, I'm ready for that. I, there's certainly going to be things that I don't do the right way, but, um, you know, just kind of looking at the way that, uh, you know, I, I do try to keep the room as much as I can. And, and even it's a challenge right it now is. with, with, you know, not having games. That's that's adversity that our guys face. And I'm sure that there's going to be a stretch of games where we lose every game, you know, like you said, three, four games in a row. And, you know, you want to come down on the guys about the result. But I think more importantly, if you can focus on the process and not so much what the result of the game is, then, you know, come playoff time, you're, you're a team to be reckoned with because, uh, you know, you've done that. And, and I think that, you know, that's a, that's a big thing and a, and a big part of my coaching philosophy. Well, I can't wait because I think, you, you know, we talked about Rabs being a, a Division One coach someday, easy down the road. I, I see you got a really bright future uh, in coaching, not just at the Magicians, but long term. Uh, I wish you the best of luck and thanks for yeah, spending thanks a bunch a of time with me today and telling about your life. And it's been a lot of fun. No, it's been a blast catching up, too, and, and always great seeing you. All right. Stu Bickle, uh, Minnesota Magicians, uh, if you can get out 
to uh, Richfield this year and watch a game, check him out. He's going to be a great coach. He's got a great team with the Magicians. They'll be a lot of fun to watch this year. Uh, a lot, another lot of fun is going to the Minnesotan, uh, our great sponsor. If you could support them uh, and buy some stuff from them, whether it's online or go to their store, you will not be disappointed. Great hats, great apparel. Uh, you want vintage? They got it. You want Minnesota stuff? They got it. Uh, you want really cool, unique uh, apparel? They have it. Uh, go, go to their store in White Bear Lake. Don't go today. It's a little snowy, uh, but uh, if you can make it out there during the holiday seasons, use YHH either online or in the store, and you get a 15% discount. Thanks a lot. If you're listening to this before the Christmas day, I uh, appreciate everybody. Uh, Merry Christmas to everyone, and have a happy new year.